the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed in the program are not necessarily those of this radio station or its sponsors and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. You should always consult the appropriate advisor before making any financial decision. All rights reserved. Now, new focus on wealth with certified financial planner Chad Burton. Drawing from his 28-year background in finance and investing to help you make sense of your money matters. New focus on wealth. Get a new focus on personal finance, wealth management, Wall Street, and the economy. Now your host for New Focus on Wealth, Chad Burton. Big event coming up this weekend, 28th of October, 10 to noon, Crown Plaza, San Mateo, right off the 92. It's the seven test of retirement readiness. We have CFP, Chad Burton, myself. Chad's going to be running the event. Going to go over super important content to see if you're ready for retirement. Taxes, insurance, investments with drawdown, happiness, drawdown scenarios. Um, it's all really good, solid professional content. If you're 55 and older, roughly there, uh, $500,000 or more in investable assets, you really need to have some solid strategies in retirement. This is a good chance to get caught up with CFP Chad Burton. You can sign up at chadburton.com. It's chadburton.com. Again, it's October 28th, 10 to noon. Or sign up at my website, Rob Black Show. Chad, let's talk um, retirement income. There's a couple pieces to it. It could be dividends. It could be Social Security. It could be cash. Uh, multiple, multiple options. Um, can't just pick a withdrawal amount and rebalance your portfolio every year. Or can you? Uh, maybe later in life, it's a little bit okay. easier, but um, it, there, there's really different phases. Often. Okay. Yep. And, and so you've got some people that are lucky enough to retire early. I mean, we know that retirement is a bit of an epidemic in America where there's a huge percentage of people that don't have less than 10,000 saved for retirement. But let's say we're, we're talking about those with wealth that are um ready to pull the trigger and say, okay, I'm going to ride off into the sunset. I'm going to retire or maybe go do something else even. There's different phases. So the taxes, the the healthcare costs, everything, it, it, there, there's different phases in life. So let's say you retire when you're 60 years old. Well, most of the time, if you're able to retire that early, it's because you've saved up a lot of other assets and you don't have any kind of a government plan. So you're paying for your own health insurance between retirement age and age 65 when you get on Medicare. Okay. okay. Now, even after that, you're still paying money. You pay for Medicare Part B, your supplemental insurance and things like that. But until then, you're going to pay for your medical insurance on your own. And it's usually you you retire, you're on COBRA for a little bit, but then you quickly realize that that's expensive. So you're going to switch over to one of the California plans that covered California, the Affordable Care Act, Obamacare, whatever you want to call it. Um, and what's interesting about that approach is that if you don't have a lot of other automatic income sources, like your social security hasn't kicked in yet, maybe your pension, if you, if you happen to have one, cause most people don't, maybe it doesn't kick in until you're 65. Um, so even though you might have a lot of assets saved up, the only thing hitting your tax return is the interest from your bank accounts, the interest from maybe your tax-free bonds and your non-retirement account and the dividends in your uh, from your stocks in your non-retirement accounts. So even though you might have a couple million bucks on on your balance sheet, when you just look at your tax return and you look at what's called your modified adjusted gross income, which is all of your income, including your tax-free bonds, maybe you look poor. Maybe your income isn't that high, right? Even though you have a lot of cash in the bank that you could spend, mm-hmm. your income for your tax return isn't that high. So you can qualify for premium tax credits to basically pay for a good portion, if not all of that Affordable Care Act health insurance premium. So it's a really weird strategy that has, you know, we've had to initiate here where, where you're, you're okay, let's, let's see how do we make it so that your income on paper looks low and 
and you can save a ton of money, you know, 14 to 20 grand a year in some cases on health insurance premiums for you and your spouse. And maybe you have kids in college, something like that. So there is that retirement date to age 65. Once you're on 65, you're on Medicare. And when that happens, you don't have to necessarily look so poor on paper when it comes to your tax return. And so you can change your income strategy once you're on Medicare. And then the next phase is when do you take Social Security? You know, a lot of people are waiting until age 70 to take Social Security because there's from your full retirement age, which is if you're born 1960 or after, it's 67. So if you hold off on taking your Social Security until 70, it's a really good rate of return on your money if you're going to live into your 80s. So then we have this other income planning phase from Medicare age of 65 to when you take Social Security at 70. And then there's another strategy that kicks in between 70 when you're taking Social Security and then 73. That's when you have to start taking money out of your IRAs and 401ks and 403bs where your income, your taxable income is going to jump again. And so um, it's no easy task in retirement, Rob, between dealing with health insurance, then Medicare, then supplemental insurance. Like right now, it's open enrollment for people that are trying to change their Medicare coverage. Right. Um, and and then the tax it from Social Security for most people that can afford to retire in the Bay Area, 85% of their Social Security is taxable income. And then at age 73, when you have to start taking money out of your IRAs and 401ks and your taxable income goes up again. And so where you're pulling your money from changes during those different phases. And then the IRA to Roth conversion strategies that get kicked in. Quick question. You could give a quick answer. It would be lovely. What do you think about covered California? Because five years ago, 10 years ago, I didn't need it, but now I'm getting older and I may leave the workforce and I may need it. I may not. So my opinions are changing as I move closer to the possibilities. What are your thoughts? Well, I guess it's two thoughts. In in a sense, strategies around getting it paid for from mm-hmm. early retirement to age 65, it yep. looks great, right? You can save a lot of money if you do things the right way. Okay. The other side of it that I've seen is that, you know, health insurance companies kind of pulled out of various states when it comes to picking your own individual coverage and you're stuck with those plans. So some good, some bad, Rob. It's It's tough to get into it, you know, without going a little bit political on it, but uh, I know, I know that's what I was trying to, I, I think everybody to... needs health insurance. I think it's a, yeah. a human right to have health insurance. Well, good to know. And again, I just think it's a floating opera as you get closer to it, you see the importance of it or the possibilities for planners and making good decisions. So let's talk about taxes. They seem very low right now for retirees. Do you expect that to change? I do. And it's interesting because, you know, this August started the 30th year in the business. You and I have been doing this together for 24 years now. And this is the lowest tax bracket for retirees in that entire period of time. Okay, And it's the highest amount of money that you can pass to your heirs without a federal estate tax. Yet, even Jerome Powell, when they're talking about raising interest rates, is talking about the growth of the U.S. debt is not sustainable um, and there's a lot of reasons for that. It's like something like one in three dollars is for Medicare, you know, dealing with costs of diabetes and other issues that has to do with what is allowed in the, the human diet in the United States. Yep. Um, so there's a lot of issues there that are showing that for people that are working, they're going to be paying more into Social Security. They're going to be, you know, tax are likely tax brackets are likely going to have to go back up to where they were prior to 2017. And so, yes, there's a lot of things that you should be taking advantage of right now. The current tax act that was passed in 2017 is set to expire in 2026 unless Congress acts to change it again. And we all know how well that's going right now, right? It's not going too well right now, Chad. Say hello to a pass that gives you endless travel for $2,500 per month with no nightly rates, taxes, or fees. You might call it the suitcases always packed pass or the wait. I get to choose from 100,000 trips pass. The will it be the beach, city, mountains, or all three pass. Or you could just call it what we call it, the Inspirado Pass. Endless travel for $2,500 per month with no nightly rates, taxes, or fees. Learn more at inspiradopass.com. So I think it's fair to take a look at the stock market. 10-year treasury cracked 5%. I'm going to ask Chad in just a second, CFP Chad Burton. Um, you do anything about that? But we're really here to promote a seminar this weekend, um, October 28th, 10 to noon. Nice event. It's a new event. Seven tests of retirement readiness. Um, you can get a spot, Crown Plaza City, Foster's uh, Crown Plaza City. 
uh, I'm sorry, Foster City and Crown Plaza. Ugh. Uh, it's weird location. It's perfect location because it's right on the 92 in between 101 and 92. Uh, Visa's real close by if you know where those buildings are. It's a 90-minute seminar. Chad's going to go over taxes, income, long-term care, safe money, investing, life goals, health and wellness, and much, much more. You should walk out with a pretty good feeling, positive or negative, about where you are. You can sign up at chadburton.com under events, chadburton.com or Rob Black Show. It's this weekend, 10 to noon. So get your Saturday starting just right. Do some shopping afterwards because there's a lot of uh, malls right there just as well. Chad, let's talk about that five-year treasure real quick. Um, yeah. During the commercial, I think it's fair sharing what we talk about during the commercial. You said you're doing some CD laddering. You're, you said you're taking advantage of it. That's what a good CFP should do, take advantage of market conditions. What exactly are you doing? But not CD laddering necessarily. I don't think there's a lot of point in that's fair, doing that's fair, CDs fair. right now because you can do FDIC insured high yielding money markets that are out there at 5% or more that are totally liquid. So there's not really a lot of reason to tie up money in a CD right now. So where I think you take advantage of it if you need safe money, and this can work in an IRA account too, Rob, um, where you can do, if you're, if you're trying to keep really, really safe money, that's typically T-bills and T-notes where through a brokerage account and even in an IRA at Schwab or Fidelity, for example, you can do a one to 24 month laddered treasury portfolio where with a combination of T-bills and T-notes on the secondary market, you can have, uh, you know, one twenty-fourth of your account maturing every month for you to be able to spend. But you have, you know, notes starting at something that matures in a month, something that matures two years down the road. So that's really good for shorter term liquid money that you really need. You can get north of 5% right now. And to lock in some of the the longer rates right now, which is, you know, these are rates that we have not seen <clears throat> since 2006. And so um, I, you know, I do like corporates a little bit better than, than munis right now. So like, for example, recently, one of the things a, a client wanted to add more money and they have a taxable account and an IRA account. So inside the IRA, we sold off some of the large cap equities and did a one to 10 year corporate bond ladder where you do high quality corporate bonds and you've got a bond maturing every single year for 10 years. So you got some shorter term and some longer term bonds. Um, and uh, then when they added the money to their taxable account, we just bought the large cap stocks back, which is a little bit more tax efficient because corporate bonds to me are really attractive right now on the one to 10 year high quality. Mm -hmm. um, but you want that in a retirement to do some asset location maneuvering. Uh, it, but it, it, it's very attractive. It, it, we do have to remember though, that the, the yield curve still is slightly inverted right now. Two year treasuries are paying a bit more than 10 year treasuries. Um, and so there is still inflationary issues. And, but that's why you kind of want a little bit of all the bonds right now. If you only do two year bonds, there could be some major reinvestment rate risk where you buy two-year bonds at 5%, but in two years, once they mature, the Federal Reserve has had to go reverse course, drop interest rates way back down to re-stimulate the economy and get it about, get us out of a recession. And then all of a sudden you're reinvesting at a much lower rate where you're going to be like, I wish I would have bought some 10 years. Um, so you kind of want to spread out along what's called the curve. And the curve is just short-term maturities versus long-term maturities. Where are you on the curve? And you want to a little bit of everything right now. Uh, reinvestment risk. That's a, probably a new one for a lot of people out there. There's the political risk. There's dollar risk. There's uh, political event risk. There's a lot of risk, right? So um, inflation risk, deflation risks. So well, there's just a lot of competition for stocks right now, too. And you've got treasuries paying 5%. I hear you. It's so, good time to create that balanced portfolio. People have been sitting around on cash lock in some bond rates and average the rest of the cash into the stock portfolio that'll help you kind of be comfortable putting cash to work by putting it over a period of like say four to six months. But I definitely lock in on some of these bond rates right now. One analyst said last year that this is definitely not going to be the same next 15 years that it was the last 15 years. So I hope people are ready for the higher interest rate environment because it's not as easy as you just uh, alluded to there. Let's talk um, 401k rollers. Is it always better to roll to an IRA? Simple question. Oh, not not when you're working. So, okay. it, so right now, what what this is addressing is, first of all, 
if you're working with an advisor and their fiduciary, they should be saying, okay, let's look at your new 401k. So you've got a, a bunch of money in an old 401k, you switch jobs, you got a new 401k. And 401k companies are supposed to send you an annual fee disclosure so you can see what are all the fees inside of my new 401k. And if it's a Fidelity or a Vanguard 401k, maybe the fees are actually really, really low and it's a good uh, opportunity to put the money from your old 401k, roll it directly into the new 401k if the employer allows it. And most most do. Um, the In the past, it always used to be, oh, no, roll it into an IRA and have complete control over it. But it depends on your situation. So where it could be bad for a person to roll from a 401k into an IRA is if you're still working and you're a high income earner that is not eligible to fund a Roth IRA. Okay. So let's say you're a high income earner and in the new 401k, you're maxing out the pre-tax deferral option. You're maxing out any what we call mega Roth option where you can put after tax dollars in and have it convert to a Roth. So there's there's a ton of money, 30,000 or more if you're over 50 that you can actually get into some 401k plans, Rob. But let's say you're, you know, mid 50s, your your kids are out of college finally, you have extra money and you're trying to catch up and save for retirement. So you're maxing out that 401k and you're looking for places outside of your retirement account to put money then you could do a backdoor Roth IRA. But if you have an IRA, if you took that old 401k and rolled it to a, an IRA, you might not be eligible to do that without a tax hit every year. All right. So that is probably a smaller percentage of the US population that can afford to max out the 401k and do something that you have to consider as part of that decision making process. Do I roll my 401k over to an IRA? Another time before we go on when it's, you know, what's it's good to do it to an IRA. The other time that you really have to be careful um, rolling from a 401k to an IRA is for those few people that can afford to retire before age 59 and a half. So you 59 and a half is that age where you can pull money from an IRA without any 10% penalty. In a 401k plan, a lot of the plans, if you're over uh, 50, 55, um, you can retire. And as long as you're separated from service, you can actually pull money from the 401k a little earlier uh, if you're under 59 and a half. So that's also a careful consideration. If you're retiring early, you might need to wait, leave the money in the 401k, draw on it for a few years there, and then roll it over when you're 59 and a half. Hi, this is Chad Burton. If you have questions about retirement and investing, it's time to get some answers. My website, chadburton.com, has a ton of resources. There are downloads to help you determine how long your money will last in retirement, links to our webinars, and several videos discussing everything from retirement planning to tax-efficient investing, estate planning, insurance, and even saving for your kid's college. While you're there, also check out our tax planning and estate planning services and our video explaining our online wealth management tool. You can find links to the podcast at chadburton.com, and please like my Facebook page, New Focus on Wealth with Chad Burton. This invaluable resource is able to show the values and allocations of all your accounts, regardless of where they're held. Information is updated each day at the end of market close, and these new numbers are fed into the financial projections we've created for our clients with the goal of constant financial clarity. You can find links to the podcast at chadburton.com, and please like my Facebook page, New Focus on Wealth with Chad Burton. I promise we'll get back to more regularly scheduled programming soon, but any chance I can grab Chad Burton, CFP, and regional director at EP Wealth to get him on the air for an hour. I do. Um, it's always good content. It's always insightful. Whether we're talking about the breadth of the markets, is it good? Is it bad? What's it mean to you? Whether we're talking about interest rates, whether we're talking about tax law changes, insurance products, he always has a strong opinion that I feel is pretty stable. He's not a nut job. He's not pushing conspiracies. He's not pushing fear. Um, I think that's important to throw down. Big event coming up at the Crown Plaza, Foster City, 10 to noon, Saturday, October 28th. You can sign up for the event, the seven test of retirement readiness. You can learn all about it at during the commercials, but also at chadburton.com. Chad can be found on Spotify and Apple podcast as well with new focus on wealth with Chad Burton. Solid content, solid content. Chad, let's talk. Um, some more 401k strategies because I, you and I have been doing this for 25 years roughly. And I still say the number one way to get wealthy is to put money in your 401k every two weeks in good markets and bad markets. 
to start with 5% if that's all you could afford and get to 15% to do the catch-ups that you get when you get of a certain age, i.e. gray hairs. Um, let's talk about rolling over a 401k. What's the process? You work for a company, you leave a company, you work for a company, you retire. Uh, what are the scenarios? What do you, what does 401k rollover mean? Well, I mean, first to start, I mean, both the SEC and the Department of Labor have, you know, attempted to create clarification and laws to stop this phenomenon of people being talked into rolling over their 401ks into high fee products like variable annuities. Right. I mean, and part of it is, you know, as we've talked about before, about 99% of annuities are garbage. Um, they have these income for life guarantees, but they have fees inside of them that are approaching three and a half percent or so. So retirees are already underprepared for retirement. And then they're getting talked into people that call themselves advisors, but they're really salespeople, um, that have a really good pitch and they, people roll their 401ks into products that are charging them, you know, three, three and a half percent a year. So you have to have this careful consideration of, of, that situation where if you're taking a new job on really analyzing, is it better to go into the new company 401k plan instead of an IRA? But let's talk about rolling over to an IRA once you retire. If we're, gonna, we're taking this from the approach of, of retiring, um, most of the time it's going to be better for a person to roll their 401k to an IRA, especially if you've, you know, you get to that point of retirement, you have several old 401ks and a couple of different IRAs you're likely going to be better off and more organized if you roll all of those old plans into one IRA, right? And have control over all of the investments that you have. I mean, you, you do need to look at what are the fees inside the 401ks that you have. Sometimes they're really good and cheap and sometimes they're really bad. Um, so you've got to look at the fees. If you're still working, you got to look at whether or not you're doing the backdoor Roth IRA. And again, like I talked about before, a lot of times if you're retiring early before age 59 and a half, sometimes it's better to leave it in the 401k because 401ks allow you to have earlier access to your money once you've retired fully from that company before age 59 and a half. So sometimes if you're retiring at 55, it's better to leave the 401k there, draw on it till you're 59 and a half and then roll it over to an IRA. Okay. But let's say a person does want to roll over to an IRA from their 401k. What is the process to do that? We get that question quite a bit. So the first thing you have to do is say, where do you want your IRA to be held? Uh, when, when we manage money at EP Wealth, we use Schwab and Fidelity as custodians. It doesn't matter to me which, which one you like. We're, it's your accounts. We're just authorized to trade on it on your behalf. So let's say you want to open a, an account at Schwab or Fidelity or, or any of the brokerage firms. So you pick out where you want your IRA to be held. And in some cases, you got to look in your 401k plan. Is there any Roth 401k money inside your 401k plan? If that's the case, you're actually going to need to open up two accounts. You're going to need to open up an IRA account and a Roth IRA account. To... So that's step number one is open the account where you want it to be managed. Once you have the account number in hand, then you typically just go online with your 401k, you log in, and most 401k plans have an online process to roll over your money from the 401k to the IRA. And as long as you do it correctly, there's no tax withholding, um, and it's a totally tax-free process. Sometimes you're going to have to call to process the rollover, Rob, because some some 401k plans don't have that all online capability. Um. And so one of the things that you might want to note is that if you have like, for example, a Fidelity 401k, it's really easy if you have a Fidelity IRA, because that all happens online where you call, you process the rollover. And, and here's what happens. So when you call in or you log in to process the rollover, they that day or the next day, they liquidate all of the assets and then they process a check. Okay. And the check is made out to your IRA. So the check is going to be mailed to your house. Once you receive the check in your hand, you don't have to endorse it or anything because it's made out to your IRA. And then you just need to mail it in, or in some cases you can do a mobile deposit to your IRA account at where you opened your IRA. And so um, that's typically the steps that you need to take in order to do it. So does that all make sense so far? Yeah. 
Now, when we typically process or help people process a 401k to IRA rollover, um, a lot of times we're on the phone with the client and the custodian, let's say it's Fidelity or Vanguard or wherever. I typically ask to make sure that they do the, send the check overnight, right? Otherwise you're going to st- be completely out of the market. And then sometimes it takes them five or six days or more to get the check to you. And then you're out of the market for that entire period of time. And I also don't like to trust the regular, you know, I don't want a large check in the regular mail either, right? Floating around out there because I've seen them lost. Where if you're having the check sent to you by UPS or FedEx with a tracking number, you're going to get the check quicker. You're going to be able to deposit it quicker and you're going to be able to, you know, track where the envelope is. Is that going to cost you 25 bucks or so? Yeah, it is, but I think it's totally worth it. Right. Yeah. So that's, that's one thing that I would talk about here. You know, I and once then, had a, you'll like the story. It's a quick one. The IRS once owed me a hundred thousand dollars because I overpaid my hundred thousand and they just didn't even write a check. They're like, we don't do checks in the mail like that. I found that interesting. Like you could have told me that, <laughs> you know, they sent me the letter. That they owed <laughs> me the money, but anyway, go ahead. <laughs> That's the first time I've ever heard of that. But uh, <laughs> in terms of sending you, hey, we owe you some money, Rob. But they wouldn't um, even, I got nice interest on it, which is nice, but they wouldn't send it in the mail. That's just, to me, is like, why not? And you just gave me the answer. Right. And the IRS doesn't call you too. So that's a huge scam that goes on as people think they're getting a call from the IRS. They do not call you. They only write letters. So keep that in mind. Okay. Back to the yeah, and there's some, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, let's talk about some of the nuances here. Sure. And so typically why I always call with the client on the phone rather than process these things online uh-huh. So processing online, that's maybe if you want to do it yourself, right? The reason why I call is because there's a couple of questions that we always ask. Um, you know, how much money is in the pre-tax 401k? Is there any money in the Roth 401k? Because that means that we'll need to open a Roth IRA to receive those rollover funds. And also, is there any after-tax money sitting in your 401k? And so if you've had a 401k for a long period of time, the the rules of being able to put in pre-tax and after-tax money have changed throughout the years. And so oftentimes I'll see a plan where there's five or $10,000 of after-tax money sitting in the 401k account in a different bucket. It's invested, but it's in a different accounting bucket. And it's very important that you want to process an IRA of a 401k pre-tax to Roth conversion inside of the plan before you roll the money over. It just simplifies everything. And so most of the time these days when we're doing rollovers, we are seeing pre-tax money and Roth money. And again, that means that person's going to receive two checks. One check's going to need to be deposited into your IRA and the other check's going to need to be deposited into your Roth IRA. The other question that we always want to find out when somebody's got a 401k is, do you have any company stock in your 401k plan? So let's say, for example, you've worked at Lockheed Martin for years and you received company stock as part of your match inside your 401k plan, there is a really special tax treatment called net unrealized appreciation, Rob. Mm-hmm. It gets a little bit complicated, but if that person has a bunch of, let's say Lockheed Martin stock, and let's say there, and believe it or not, there's a cost basis on the stock. You know, what was the value when the employer gave it to you? Um, you can choose to do two things in that 401k. You could have all of your pre-tax money roll into an IRA, but then you could take all of that company stock and put it in a normal non-retirement brokerage account at say Schwab or Fidelity, where those shares transfer into that non-retirement account, that brokerage account that you have 100% access to anytime you want. And you're taxed on the original cost basis of those shares at that time. But then you can choose to sell the rest of the shares later on and the gain qualifies for capital gains taxes, which for a lot of people can be much lower than the ordinary income tax bracket. And so then you could really get into some detailed tax planning when you have that type of a situation. So it's really important to explore that if you have a 401k with company stock in it. Chad, um, thanks for coming, by the way, to the, the event this weekend. Um, let's talk about, have we finished 401ks or should we move on to advisors? What are your thoughts? I think it comes into play. I mean, you, what's interesting is you know, totally off topic is you, you mentioned the idea of business owners, right? Yep. And you and I have personally gone through this where 
you're growing a business. So your net worth, you know, on paper could start to become larger, but your liquidity is lower, right? You're just shoving every single extra dollar you have back into the business because it's the fastest growing thing that's out there. But then as you get a little bit later in life, you, you start to think about diversification, even out of your own business, liquidity, exit strategies. Um, how do you get to the point where you're either having your business run itself without you and kicking off profit, or you're going to say, how do I sell this business either internally to employees or outside over time and all of the tax issues that come along with that. And that's also a lot of where CFPs can assist in help create the team of what does the plan look like? What are the tax issues with the CPA? What are the legal issues with the attorney? Uh, what does the estate plan look like before and after? It, it all comes into play as part of financial planning. So moving forward with that concept, um, wealth advisors like yourself, you have an account minimum. What if everything is in a 401k, employer 401k, but people need your help? They, they've, they've got that nest of the 401k, mm-hmm. um, but yep. it's, it's not got the greatest options. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's got great options, not dynamic great options. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And that that's common, especially on the business owner side where you're either you're, most of your net worth is tied up into the business um, and then the 401k that you've been adding to because you created one for your employees. So in a situation like that, a lot of times, you know, we have a full retirement plan division that could come in and, and take over that, the management of that retirement plan and, you know, have it with a fidelity or, or whatever it may be, whatever's the right choice in that situation. Um, a lot of times, if if you're not the business owner, you don't have any control of that. Most of the large companies are are now having their 401k with, say, Fidelity, or they have a 401k where the 401k offers a what's called a brokerage link, Rob. And this this sounds a little bit confusing, but essentially, when you log into your 401k, you have all of these normal investment options, right? There's usually 10 to 50 different fund choices inside the 401k plan. Um a lot of retirement strategy funds and things like that. But what we see is people get older, a lot of times the bond fund choices or the retirement strategy choices don't really work. I, I like the 2060 funds for younger people, right? But if you're getting closer to retirement, those retirement strategy funds, they they kind of aren't good enough and uh, with the extra fees inside. It's just kind of, yeah. I, I don't like them for like a 60 year old, right? I hear you. So, you go to get some financial help, but there, the, most wealth advisors like us have a half a million dollar account minimum. And so if all your money is in a 401k plan, if that 401k plan option offers a brokerage link account, it's like a, a another choice inside the 401k plan where you can move money from the normal fi- fund lineup into a brokerage link account at Fidelity or Schwab. And that's the account that we can tie to and manage for the person in uh, the you know stock bond mutual fund choices that that we typically use, um, and so that's a way to often meet the account minimum with with leaving the money in the four hundred one k plan. Which is interesting because I don't think most people they kind of sit on it like a bird sitting on its its eggs, um, mm-hmm. and being dynamic with it is kind of like not jumping off a cliff, but it's taking an uncomfortable step that we're not used to. Can you yeah. roll directly? But, oh, go ahead. Well, I think the other thing too is, is that you also get 10 years out from retirement and you might be very aggressive in the current 401k choices and you might want to still maintain that in equity, but then you might need to shift where your contributions are going okay. so that by the time you get to retirement in 10 years, you've got the balanced portfolio finally, right? So you got to make the decision, where are you at in life? Is it time to reduce equity positions and take advantage of the higher bond rates? Or do you know what? You know, the stock market works really well over long periods of time. I'm going to keep this aggressive allocation and I'm going to start contributing to more conservative assets, or maybe it's somewhere in between, right? Maybe you're 100% equities. Well, let's rebalance to like an 80 20 and start adding to a more conservative position. So by the time you get to retirement, you're more of a 60 40 stock versus bond situation. So it's that, you know, you call that 10 years from retirement, kind of that red zone. I can't remember which yeah. insurance company kind of dubbed that. But uh, it is, it's definitely a real thing because I want a portfolio to look like you want it to look the day you retire. I want it to look like that five years from retirement so that you can you know, focus on, on that transition rather than be worried about your money. Yeah. Um, 
And one thing too, I will point out, Rob, is that if you're trying to get that financial help, a lot of 401k plans, when you're over 59 and a half, allow what's called an in-service rollover. And there's a lot of careful considerations, the backdoor Roth IRA that we talked about before. You can still be working and roll some of your money from your 401k to an IRA so that you can have it managed more appropriately for you outside of the 401k choices. So that is an option as well. Chad, let's um, change the content of you know, some of our recent shows. Um, let's talk about measuring portfolio performance because it is the number one question that's instantly fired back when it comes time to hiring a financial planner, when it comes working with a mutual fund, when it comes to getting into the stock market. What's it cost and uh, what's your performance like? Yeah. And, and so what are you measuring the portfolio against, right? Because if you're sitting there trying to measure a portfolio that's diversified with large cap, small cap, mid cap, international, merging markets, all of it. Um, it's, it's, you know, the, the S and P 500 has become a very tech heavy index. Um, because to, to talk about what the S and P 500 is, and I don't know, I don't think, you know, media talks about this enough. You hear the S and P, the Dow, the NASDAQ, well, they all have the same stocks in it. It's just different weightings in most cases. So the S and P 500 to explain what it is, is the largest 500 companies in America but it's a market cap weighted index. And over the last several years, most of the revenue has gone towards tech companies. So when you look at the S&P 500, if you invest money into it, 7.16% is going into Apple, 684 into Microsoft, 3.24, and 2.89 in NVIDIA. Uh, between the two Googles, you've got nearly 4% there. Yeah, Alphabet, that be, Inc. That, and Alphabet. That could yeah. be a name of a uh, podcast, Between the Two Googles. The two Googles. Yeah. <laughs> I always have to look to remember which is which anyways. Um, and then you got Facebook and you're all the way down to Berkshire Hathaway before you get out of tech, right? 1.72%. And then the next one is Tesla at 1.69%. And so the weighting of the top holdings in the S&P 500 is now very similar to the NASDAQ. The NASDAQ just has more money into Apple and Microsoft, Amazon, and NVIDIA because it's very tech oriented. Um, I mean, just 11 years ago, I think there was like two energy stocks in the top 10 of the S&P 500. And so most of the time when you're managing money, you're not going to go that heavy into just tech stocks or one asset class, because even though you can get a couple of years of outperformance, then you can go through a major correction like 2022. And it looks pretty rough because even though when you look at the performance of, let's say the NASDAQ this year, it's up, I don't know, still like 30% or so. But when you look at it from January of 2022 to today, it's still negative. So it's just a tech rebound. So a better approach to when you're measuring a portfolio on the return is to make sure that you're carving out every asset class and comparing it to the proper index. Or you can kind of look at the whole and, and compare the whole to like a, a Russell 3000, right? So there's different ways to measure it because the S&P 500, although it's been one of the best places to be over the last 10 years, most of the time you're going to look at periods of outperformance by small cap, by international, by emerging markets. Um, and so the idea when you're having a portfolio is that you're, you're typically paying mostly for the financial advice, the tax planning, the estate planning. If you're paying you know 1% on a portfolio and all you're getting is a pie chart, then that's not enough. You should have a full financial plan. You should be able to log in and see a cash flow analysis, a tax analysis, know where you're at in retirement, know all of those other things. Because the idea is that net of fees, we're keeping up with the markets in the good years and hopefully with rebalancing and other strategies, we're outperforming in the bad years. That's kind of when uh, you, you throw a, a party, right? Is if the market's down a certain percentage and you're down much less than you've done your job because the stock market will take really good care of you over time. It's making sure that people don't make mistakes in the bad times or don't over aggressively invest because of FOMO, the fear of missing out in the good times. So maintaining the, the rebalancing strategy, the tax planning, the estate planning, keeping people from making mistakes. What accounts do I add to? What Am I maxing my 401k? Am I doing a mega Roth 401k? All of those things that come into play. Um, but I think that Lately, Rob, it's just the S and P five hundred. It's uh, you know thirty plus years that we've been doing this. Is the most interesting it's ever been in terms of a tech heavy index. And that'll have a reversion to the mean at some point. Um, and and I asked the question: Will small cap, mid cap outperform? Because I think 
you would probably use the Callan periodical table of investment returns to say historically they do. Um, but I have to ask is, should we give up on small cap and mid cap at this point? Or do you think there's going to be a rally? You've got, so a lot of times small and mid cap companies, the reason why underperformance of the S&P 500 is um, because smaller and mid-sized companies tend to need to borrow money to continue to grow, to buy new equipment, to continue to grow that revenue. And interest rates are a lot higher. So that's affecting the bottom line, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. and, but once you go through a recession and those asset classes tend to drop the most, that's the time where you really want to load up. So for example, back during, you know, the COVID correction, that's one of the first places I looked is to add to some of the small cap value stuff that was out there and it skyrocketed the next year um, after the bottom of the COVID correction. So when you, when I look at small cap value, especially you're going to get a lower price to earnings ratio than the S&P 500 right now, but you've got to dig into what you're investing in because if that small cap value fund or ETF has a lot of financials or real estate, you need to be careful. Um, so we're, we're we're kind of entering this more of a phase of more of a stock picking market versus an indexing market, right? And it ebbs and flows. I love Rob That's both true. actively managed funds and index funds. The time where I'll load up on index is when if you have a, a big market correction and everything is cheap, that's when you just go into everything in the cheapest form possible. But when you're in an economy like this, where we have higher interest rates, we have inflationary issues um, and some geopolitical concerns, you some active management, that's where you typically it's going to pay off. And it doesn't necessarily pay off on the outperformance in the good years. It pays off on uh, keeping more of your money on, on the bad years. And look, I mean, the market is, stock market is positive, you know, 74% of the time over so with the S&P returning with dividends reinvested over with the corrections of, you know, 2000, all of that, it can be volatile, but it will treat you really well over time. The key is when you're younger, when you have those big pullbacks, that's when you try want to try to buy more. And when you're older and you're starting to draw on your portfolio, you need to make sure that you have safe money on the sidelines so that you have something to draw on when the market does go through those corrections so that you can leave the number of shares that you have intact to rally back up because it always will. It's just a matter of, is it going to be six months or is it going to be three years? So I wanted to continue the conversation with CFP Chad Burton. He is a an executive, a regional director with EP Wealth which means he has a team of financial planners that he works with. He trains, um, gives them insight, gives them leadership, but he has clients himself. You can learn more about Chad Burton, chadburton.com. He is a CFP, a designation that I didn't want to pursue 25 years ago that I wish I had pursued because I was a registered investment advisor. I met CFP Chad Burton. I was like, done deal. Good partnership. Um, I could talk stocks. He could talk financial planning. It has been a good partnership on a lot of levels on shows like this. You can see why. Um, if you want to learn more, meet him this weekend. If you have investable assets over 500,000, you haven't come to a lot of events recently. This is a good one. It's a Saturday event, kind of right during the holiday shopping season, which is a weird thing to say because it's still October. But um, after the event, you can holiday shop. Before the event, you can plan your retirement. It's the seven tests of retirement readiness. It's a new event for him. So it's got a lot of new slides, a lot of things to digest. Um, solid, solid content. Two hours, October 28th, 10 to noon, Crown Plaza Hotel, Foster City. Um, about it during the commercials. Uh, learn a little bit more about it at chadburton.com or robblackshow.com. Chad, we're just talking last segment, and I think there's some follow-up questions here about measuring portfolio performance. And you got into an interesting topic of the 401k and how Rob's been, me, I've been kind of stagnant with it. I've done the tic-tac-toe board, large cap, mid cap, small cap, growth of each of each, of each style, value of each style, uh, some income in there, typically a REIT fund for me. And I haven't really changed that that much. And yet my portfolio is a little bit more, my stock portfolio is a little more dynamic than my 401k portfolio. Should I be measuring my 401k returns or should I just be accumulating assets for later in life where it becomes more important to refine what's in there versus kind of bulk investing now? Well, yeah, you should absolutely measure your 401k performance. But the the problem is, Rob, is that we've had one of the largest outperformance of large cap growth. Yeah versus any other of the other asset classes like small cap, mid cap, international emerging markets. It's been the longest run since, you know, I've been in the business, that's for sure. 
Um, usually every five to 10 years, you kind of get a rotation of what outperforms. And so what people are tending to do that do not do what we do on an every single day basis, they're looking at their small cap performance of their fund. And rather than gauging that against a small cap index, mm-hmm. um, even against just the Russell 2000, for example, which is, which is kind of a small and mid cap uh, blend. It's a little too heavy in tech, but there's, so there's a little better indexes out there, but they're, they're comparing their international funds, their small cap funds against the S and P 500 and say, well, why would I want that? I'm just going to go all into the S and P 500. And that would have been a major issue last year in 2022. Um, because if you would have had a diversified portfolio, even though this year you might be underperforming the S&P 500, if you look at it in perspective of January 2022 to forward, you're actually still outperforming. And what's interesting, the way math works, and in the event, I'm going to show an example, Rob, where you have two different portfolios. One averages 6% a year, straight line 6%. The other one averages slightly higher, but it looks more like the stock market, a little bit more volatile. And the portfolio with the lower average annual return actually has a higher ending value. <laughs> so that's hard to fathom, but there's a difference between average annual returns and geometric mean, or what's your real results at the end of the day. And so the idea of investing in an asset allocation, a lot of people think, well, let me ask you, Rob, what do you think when you hear the term asset allocation? What does that mean, do you think, to the average person? The proper asset allocation. Stocks, bonds, real estate, maybe digital currencies and younger skews more towards the digital currencies and real estate and well, maybe not real estate. Uh, there was a period of time there of, you know, flip my house. But um, I, I think they look at it as they, they make favorites, Chad, in their head. Mm-hmm. They, they favor my dad made a lot of money on stocks. I'm going to do stocks. Um, my dad lost some money in stocks. I'm going to do digital assets. Is that a fair yep. answer? It is. And I think that they're doing that because they think the right asset allocation means I'm going to outperform every single year all the time. And that's actually not what it is. So the proper asset allocation is typically you're smoothing out returns over the long haul because you're going to end up with more money. So the proper asset allocation can sometimes make it look like you're underperforming in the good years, but then one of the bad years will come along where the stock market will drop, you know, 30, 40%, but you're only down 10 or 15. And that's when, so that Being is down 10 big to time winning because you have winning. so much less to come back, right? If you if you drop 50%, you got to get 100% rate of return the next year to break even. And so um, that's why people now is they're edging into retirement with fixed income more attractive than it's been since 2006. It's a great time to finally rebalance your portfolio and and take advantage of some of these higher bond rates because, you know, we're, we're getting, you know, comments from JP Morgan and, 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 well, I'm not going to say Elon Musk because, you know, <laughs> you know, but everybody's worried about these higher rates, right? Causing that would, that would, some sort of a recession. And what's that? That conference call with Elon Musk and Tesla was weird. He was, he I was, I haven't listened crying. to it yet, oh, but I've seen yeah. some of the, the written comments. Okay. And you know, the whole losing is sometimes winning. Do you know what a binomial tree is? It's a, a formula that I learned in college. Like, and you talk about if you're down 50%, you got to get 100% returns. But mm-hmm. if you lose once, you almost have to win twice is the idea. It's flipping a coin. So managing your downside risk is just as important as managing your upside. And people don't see that. So I, please move on. But I, I just wanted to well, pound well, on that. It is and managing your downside risk actually, you know, prior to the age of like 50, for example, isn't that big of a deal Correct. at all in the stock market. If the market happens to have a big time drop, that's when you want to train yourself to buy more when everybody else is freaking out and scared. When everybody else at the gym is talking about how great the stock market is, that's when you learn to, okay, maybe I should pull back a little bit. Where managing the risk of the downside comes extremely important is when you're drawing money out of the portfolio, because that's when the math is different. When you're drawing money out, if you draw it out at the wrong time after the market has declined, you have less shares in your account to recover. So that's why it's so important to have the proper safe money, certain amount of dividends and interest, and how you rebalance your portfolio so that you can make it through those occasional corrections. And managing the time that it takes to get through those corrections is just as important. On Monday this week, the 10-year treasury played with 4.99%. Almost got to 5 that's a big round number. Let's bring in CFP Chad Burton. He's going to be at the event this weekend. More on that later. But Chad, big round numbers, whether it's Dow 30,000 or 10-year treasury at 5% or 4% or 2%, 
do you care about big round numbers like media does? Um, it's kind of a roadmap. What's your thoughts on big round numbers? <laughs> Depends on what you're dealing with it. It comes with portfolio. I like big round numbers. So it's in a portfolio. Um, to me, it's a percentage of moves, right? Right. So when uh, last time we saw a really big move for, let's say, in a short period of time on the 10-year treasury was in 2013. You remember the taper tantrum That's where we right. had the short-term stock market pullback because the interest rates jumped pretty quickly, a large percentage after being very low for several years. And it kind of spooked the market. And honestly, the stock market has been fairly resistant against these higher rates this year. Um, but what you're seeing now is a ton of money sitting in money markets, earning higher rates, which has not necessarily been the best thing for banks because they're paying, they're having to pay a lot of rates to keep high rates to keep deposits on hand. Whereas there's not a lot of people borrowing money for mortgages. Um, but it is just, it's providing great opportunity for people in retirement to earn money finally on their cash and to be able to ladder a bond portfolio where, you know, you can put, let's say inside your IRA, um, you could put a million bucks in individual bonds and every 10 years you got a hundred or every year you got a hundred grand of bonds coming due and you can get starting yields of North of 6%, 6.2% or so on a laddered portfolio right now. And I have not seen that since before 2006. And so by doing individual bonds, Rob, you have that idea that if you invest in bonds right now, in your 401k or in mutual funds and rates go up further, you're going to see a decline in the net asset value of those bond funds. And if people liquidate and they sell those bond funds, it forces the manager to sell bonds at a loss. But if you individually own individual bonds and they drop in value on paper, you don't really care too much because you know that when that bond matures, you're going to get the face value of that bond back. And so the decline on paper doesn't matter as much. So, um, you know, if you've got larger portfolios where you've got more than 250 in your IRA and in bonds and the advisor isn't talking to you about individual bonds and individual bond ladders, you, you might need to get a second opinion. Let's change topics. What are some recent retirement decisions that you've seen people rush into? Well, the biggest one is retiring without a plan at all. I mean, I see that a couple times a year. Okay. Where, oh, you talk about big round numbers. There you go. You know, you, they, they created a big round number in their head where it's a million, two million or whatever. I'm going to retire. And they base their entire life plan on a big round number instead of doing a detailed financial plan that includes taxes, inflation and everything. So retiring with no plan, that's a rush decision. Now, sometimes that happens, Rob, where people get laid off later in life. And that's a tough one because especially in California, we've talked about this since 1999, you and I, how bad age discrimination is in California, especially at tech companies. It's awful. Right. Um, And so some, sometimes people are forced into retirement and they come in, they say, can I stay retired or do I need to go back to work? Um, And so we have to, you know, really carefully project that out and, and talk about how long is the money going to last? You need to work part-time for a while, maybe take a year off and then go back to work for three or four years. What is the plan? Um, another really a decision that was rushed quite a bit, um, especially in recent years with the jump in real estate prices and the jump in taxes is people moving states. So you're in Cal- California is very expensive to live in to while you're working and you're making a high income. But if you have a high net worth and you retire and you pull your money out properly, you're going to pay less probably in state taxes than you think, right? People that have high income, you know, their net taxes that I typically see is around six and a half percent. So a lot of people are like, I got to get out of California. So I don't pay uh, state income tax. And then they go to another state. um, They buy a new home. Then they have to pay to furnish that home and then they pay to remodel the home because it's not quite what they want. And by the time they go all in, it was, they spend more on furnishing and remodeling that house and they would have paid over 10 years in state income taxes. And then they go to that state and they're like, ah, it's too hot here or it rains too much here or whatever. And they wish they would have gone back to California, but now they can't because they lost their property tax base. So if you're considering moving out of California and you're paying very little in property taxes, you may want to rent your home out before you lose it all together and go practice living in other states 
do long-term Airbnb rentals, or there's other travel companies out there that have 30 day, um, you know, options to stay different places to see, do you really like it? Will you re- be able to recreate your social network? It's very important to have a social network in retirement and that feeling of connection. It's a huge part of retirement. So a lot of times if you move from where you live forever, especially if it's close to the people that you used to work with and have a social life with out of state, yeah, you might be saving on taxes, but you could be miserable. So yeah. very careful consideration there. Um, and then also second home, Rob, that's a big one, right? Sure. Yep. So that's the thing is people get, um, I'm in retirement. I'm getting close. I really want that second home by the lake or in the mountains or whatever it may be. And again, you have that furnishing issue. You've got property taxes. If you bought a house in Tahoe last year, you've got, you're fixing your roof, right? From all the snow and, and the, the cost of removing the snow from the driveway. And it's like, never, what's that? It never ends. It never ends. And then it also, life goes in phases, right? Where a lot of times people want to do that, especially in retirement, because they think their whole family is going to come visit them there all the time. And we're always going to get together at the lake house or at the, at the cabin and ski all season long. And then the grandkids get into high school and they don't want to do that anymore. They want to be with their friends during the winter break and spring break and summertime or, or whatever it may be. Um, and then they're in college and then their early career. So it doesn't get used as much as people think. And so there's so many times where, people buy that second home and then we're doing the plan three or four years later where, Hey, should I just rent this out now? Or should I just go ahead and sell it? What's the tax analysis? And, or people say, well, I'll turn it into a short-term rental and use it once in a while. Well, as soon as you do that, you lose a lot of tax benefits <laughs> that can happen. Um, and so that's, that's something I think people really rush into is that, that idea of a second home, especially now out there with like travel services like Inspirato and, and Airbnb and VBRO and all these things you can go essentially, you know, live for at a place for a long period of time and then go back home. Is it a really good use of money? Especially if you got to sell stock and pay a bunch of taxes to buy this second home. That's, that's a whole problem of itself, right? Then you're paying uncle Sam early by selling that stock to get into something that may not appreciate as much. Um, when you were just talking about moving, you were talking about retirees, but I could tell you my move two years ago, it is a financial disaster. Um, refurnishing the home, home improvements. You're yelling at the choir, but if we tell my wife that I'm going to get a divorce, that it's the worst financial decision I ever made to move, higher tax basis, everything was gone terribly wrong financially. But, um, thanks for reminding me about that. <laughs> You're welcome. No problem. For me, I don't know. It's like, you know, I'm trying to travel a lot more now because I, you know, started in the business at 19, had a bunch of kids and never really did a lot of traveling. And I would love to have, you know, a place closer to a a better mountain that's not as so busy because I snowboard all winter long and then I'm on the water wake surfing all summer long. But I don't know where I want to end up. And so now I'm I'm really toying with the idea of, uh, you know, finding a deal on an RV because I think so many people bought RVs. Yep during COVID and I'm starting to see them start to come on the market very, very cheap as they can't afford anymore. You know, they can't afford the payments anymore. Um, maybe they lost their job or, or you ask any real estate agent, Rob, they're making about a third of what they were in the last several years. And I think we're going to see unemployment rates jump a, a lot. As soon as a lot of these real estate agents realize that, Oh, I'm not going to pay the fee to, to keep my shingle on an office anymore. Um, probably see some, some of that effect on employment numbers, but, um, on top, yeah, I just you know, I, I need to see the U.S. and figure out where I might want to end up being. I want to do very careful process of if I ever want a second home versus just travel different places. Realtors also have it tough right now because there's two lawsuits um, going after commissions being too high, and the Department of Justice. It can get ugly for realtors fast, is what I'm throwing down. But speaking of realtors and real estate, how about rental properties? How are they handled in retirement? Well, we're going to go back and I've done a whole show on this on my podcast before on stocks versus real estate. Mm-hmm. And I don't care what you say, stocks crush real estate over and over again. The the way that you can win with real estate is the leverage, yep. right? And right now the leverage is way more expensive. So the thing is, is people look at the price appreciation only when it comes to real estate and you get certain, certain pockets. I mean, you know, in the Northwest and the, you know, Camas, Richfield, uh, this, the Southwest Washington region. I mean, that, that 
skyrocketed or, you know, Bend, Oregon, those types of places where everybody wanted to move. The thing is, is if you, if you take, you know, let's say $300,000 and put it into the stock market and $300,000 and leverage it into real estate. But every time you have to pay property taxes, every time you have to fix something in your home, you take that same exact amount of money and put it in the stock portfolio, the stock portfolio is going to win over time. Yeah. Over a 40 year period, it's a no brainer. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, but that doesn't say, I mean, I, I own rental properties, office building, rental properties. So I still love it. But you have to be very careful, especially now that leveraging is a little bit higher. And a lot of times in retirement, if people were real estate heavy, um, you know, we got to talk about when do you start to liquidate? How do you analyze it? And what do you do to become more passive when it comes to the real estate? Seven tests of retirement readiness and happiness this weekend. Crown Plaza Hotel, Foster City, October 28th, 10 to noon. Show up early. We're going to show up early. Stay a little late. We're going to stay a little late. But during those two hours, 10 to noon, Chad's going to go over everything that you need to know. Are you ready or not? I think you'll walk out seeing areas that you're missing. Um, I think that's the nice way of saying it. Um, it's a great place to network. Uh, a lot of great listeners. But on top of it, lots of great content. Seven test retirement readiness. Um, long-term care. Here's how stupid I am sometimes. Not an issue for me. Issue for my spouse. I'm going to outlive her. And you know who's been sicker in the last two years? Her, not me. Safe money. What is it? How to use it? Investing is going to be talked about. Life goals, health and wellness, income, taxes. Taxes, you can create so many efficiencies. Um, I tend to say that they could pay for the CFP uh, for five years of work in one year because people just aren't efficient with their taxes. Um, Chad, let's finish this topic of real estate because a lot of people in California love real estate. Um Let's talk a little bit about rental properties, maybe. Um, or do we want to go sure. into yeah, let's do rental properties? Go ahead. Yeah, let's do it because I think that you know, oftentimes we're running financial plans with rental properties. And when one of the things that you need to do is you get close to retirement, if people are really heavy in real estate and they start to pull money out of it, you know, typically you're raising rents by what two or three percent a year. But then if you go through periods of time where inflation runs a lot higher. When you look at a financial plan projection, you start to see the liquid assets decline over a certain period of time. And so you have to say, okay, is there a point at which I'm going to have to start? That's a real key situation to say, okay, oh my gosh, I'm 65, but my liquid assets start to really wind down when I'm 80, 85, and I may have to start liquidating properties. And you want to know that well ahead of time because you might want to take advantage of a certain cycle that you're in because real estate cycles last every five to seven years. So, um, you know, property values have held up pretty good despite the higher rates. There's certain areas where they've really dropped a lot, like places in Arizona, which went up so much. Yep. Um, but you want to know that ahead of time. And so then, that, so that's one step is, is there a point where you're going to need liquidity out of the properties and knowing what to do about that? The next one is, and we take all of the information from a rental property off the schedule E, which every rental property they have, it goes in the schedule E. It's your, it's kind of your profit and loss statement, right? Here's your income minus your expenses and then depreciation, which helps your taxation of the real estate. So real estate can be pretty tax efficient if done correctly. But a lot of times what I see, Rob, is people have owned a property for years and years. They haven't really necessarily kept up on rate increases. And by the time we say, here's the value of the property, and we take a look at the net income, here's my income after my property manager, my taxes, my maintenance costs, I'm often seeing net income of around 2 to 3% in the Bay Area. Yep. You can get 5% in a bank account right now, totally liquid. And try to, talk and to, so you start, and try to tell them they're wrong. Well, well, yeah, and then you try to say, okay, well, do you think the price appreciation is going to be then north of 7%? Right. You know, what is that price appreciation or do you think it's going to continue to struggle and fall over the next couple of years um, as people move out of bigger cities and things like that? So you, we help do that full analysis. And then you said a lot of times, though, Rob, people are coming to us at 65, 70. And they're like, I don't want to be the manager anymore. Even if they have a property manager, it's kind of sometimes a pain in the butt. Right. You've got to communicate with that property manager. Yep. I've got to resurface a deck. Um, I got to put in a new kitchen floor or whatever. And you got to get the approvals for that and fund that. And so sometimes they're saying we just totally went out. So the steps are, as you do an analysis of selling the property, what is the cost basis? 
You're going to pay in California state and federal income taxes on the gain. But also you have to realize that when you have a rental property, all of that depreciation that you took over the last many years gets recaptured at a 25% federal rate. Um, and so you might have some suspended losses and things like that that help you out. But you have to do an analysis. What does it look like if I sell it and then reinvest the money? Um, how does that look? Uh, are you maybe willing to move into that property? So let's say you've had a rental property for years and maybe you say, you know what, I'm going to fix it up. I'm going to move in for two years. Um, plus some time, there's some specific rules, how long you've had it as a rental property. So maybe it's a lo- little longer than that, maybe to five years. And then when you sell it, you can at least claim that primary homeowner's exclusion, which is if you're married, finally, jointly, that's a half a million dollars of gain you could exclude. So that's maybe when you sell it. Or the other options that are very passive is there's Delaware statutory trust where you can 1031 exchange into uh, some sort of a property. Maybe it's a senior living facility. Maybe it's a um, uh, an Amazon building. It could be student housing where you 1031 exchange into that property and you just kick back and, and off the equity that you have, you could just kick back and have, you know, 5% or more of income. And a lot of times you could actually enjoy increased depreciation and more tax efficient income, Rob, because the new property that you're going into might be leveraged, but then you're totally passive. You have no issues in terms of talking with anybody about rent increases and property managers and things like that. And so that would be a way where you know, I've got a property, I've fully depreciated it. Now it's mostly taxable income. It's not growing as much as I want. The net income is not great. So you 1031 exchange it, you can get sometimes more leverage, more depreciation, better income, much more passive. And then for those that really need income or really need liquidity, but they don't want to pay all the taxes right away, you can combine that DST, the 1031 exchange into a building that is eventually going to be bought by a REIT, a real estate investment trust which is a fully diversified investment where you own a whole bunch of different properties inside of it. It's called a 721 exchange. So you go from your rental property to a specific built one and then into a diversified REIT. And once it's in the REIT, you can liquidate in, you know, in a, whenever you want, let's say Um, you can pull out 20% a year for five years and spread out the tax consequence. And then finally, I will say, as I know I'm kind of running long on this one, but uh, those that have real charitable intent that want to leave money to charity at the end of their life can really benefit from a charitable remainder trust where you could gift that property into a trust, get a big tax deduction, sell it without any current income taxes, get in a diversified portfolio and start pulling, you know, six, five or 6% out for life. Um, and so that's, that's a good estate planning option too. Well, you did it. You tied up the show nice and neatly. You can find Chad at chadburton.com. Big event, October 28th, Saturday, 10 to noon. Sign up at chadburton.com. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.